As a OneOuter.com podcast listener, we're offering a special discount for joining PokerXFactor.com. You can qualify for a massive $70 off your sign-up. All you need to do is enter promotional code OneOuter70. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-7-0. Uh, Barry Chalmers for OneOuter.com and today I've got a, quite a different guest. We've usually got the uh, the big poker player names. Uh, well, this guy, he's making a name for himself in poker, um, but he's not really known for his playing, although he may correct me on that. Um, no, I won't. <laughs> okay, he won't. Uh, it's Jared Tendler, um, mindset coach, author, and he's just penned the book um, called The Mental Game of Poker with Barry Carter. Um, how are you doing today, Jared? Yeah, I'm doing great, Barry. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great. Um, I was just the reason I came across your work is uh, I've interviewed Dusty Schmidt before, and uh, of course he's one of your students, and you've worked with Dusty. Um, so I, I looked a little bit into it, and then your your book, The Mental Game of Poker, has been getting a lot of coverage in the UK poker magazines, you know, with various um, excerpts and stuff from it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just thought it'd be great to have you on. So, really, thanks for coming on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Dusty was uh, actually my first poker client, so he has a, has a special place in my poker career. Right. I I know Dusty. I know you work with golfers and you know other sports people as well. Was wait, did you work with Dusty when he was a golfer first or? No, no. Actually, he um, he was out of golf by the time we met, but it was because of his golf experience that he sort of recognized the value of my work and began to sort of see how I might be able to help him with this poker because uh, I think at the time he was on the verge of his first losing month as a, as a pro, which I don't think he has yet had in his five years of playing professionally, which is, which is sick. Yeah. Um, and he was also trying to, to make Supernova Elite in like eight months, and he was tilting his face off too much and breaking computer equipment and, and all the rest of it. So we, we actually had a, a random meeting um, on the golf course had a bunch of guys that were out playing up in Oregon, and we had a mutual friend, and just got paired up together, and guys are chatting, and then a few months later he called me, and and kind of the rest has uh, has been history at this point. Yeah, well, if anyone's a you know a great example for a poker player, his work ethic and stuff, and what your teaching can do, then they just need to look at Dusty's record, as you say, you know, no losing months and stuff, and five years of online poker. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is pretty pretty sick. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, so maybe if you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, sort of Jared Tendler, the person, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I got into this profession because I was a, an aspiring golfer myself. You know, Dusty made it as a golfer much farther than I ever did. He was, he was a professional um, for I think several years and actually was leading a money list in one of the smaller satellite tours. Um, my mental hangups, um, you know, kind of choked me quite literally. Um, up before I could even get to that point. Um, I, I played successfully in college. I was a three-time All-American, uh, won you know a bunch of tournaments in college, but every time I would go out and to play these big, big uh, amateur events, uh, my, my emotions and my nerves would get the better of me. Um, this was back in the, I guess, mid-90s, mid you know, 96, 97, 98, in that range. Um, mm-hmm. And sports psychology was still kind of getting going. Uh, and... For me, what what was out there at the time wasn't really helping, and I figured that if I could find an answer, not only would I have the opportunity to play professional golf, but then 
um, I would also have the option of having some kind of a career that I could be doing this and coaching people. So um, I kind of just gave up my dreams and, you know, a lot of, a lot of friends and family, you know, were encouraging me to, to just at least try it. Cause I had a lot of talent and, you know, but, uh, I'm not one to just try something. And I knew kind of deep down that it was going to be a very difficult road. Um, so I, I went and got a master's degree in counseling psychology, spent two years getting that, then two years, uh, actually working with traditional therapy clients, you know, doing, you know, regular uh, uh, people with regular issues, uh, but mm-hmm. nothing to do with performance, obviously a far cry from poker. Um, and then once I got my license, I quit, moved out to Arizona and started working with golfers. I figured if I was going to do anything in performance, which was my goal, uh, that I would stick with what I know. And I guess I always felt like too, that I wanted to be specialized. You know, there's so many people out there who have like this general psychology performance, uh, background and I felt like if you are going to really be able to help somebody, you got to understand the context of what they're going through. Yeah. And I knew golf best, so that's that's kind of where I started. And I just got cracking and uh, developed a, a pretty solid program. Worked with players and on a number of levels, um, and of course, then cured myself too. And then I started playing some professional golf myself. Um, and it was ironically right right then when I met Dusty, and you know the poker opportunity came along, and uh, that choice. <laughs> was was there in front of me you know do i do i pr- pursue professional golf or do i uh pursue this avenue of poker where you know there's really nobody else doing what i did there was nobody on training sites doing it there was there was just a whole you know world out there of poker players who uh you know might be able to benefit from me so it was kind of a kind of a no-brainer honestly given i think how long it would have taken me to to become successful as a golfer and i think the risk was much higher yeah um, it's certainly what you say, you know, there's lots of training sites out there that teach you the mechanics of poker and stuff. And a lot of guys go out, get that down, you know, the maths down. They've got all that down and they go out and they make successful careers. But a lot of the stuff what you teach, you know, mindset things, etc. A lot of these guys, do you think there are some people that just naturally have this down um, and they sort of coast through it? And then, but obviously the majority of people struggle with issues. Yeah, you mean they naturally have kind of like men- their mental game issues or their yeah. mindset sort of falls off. Well, like, let's, yeah, let's say some guy, you know, he studied the maths and stuff. He walks into it um, and he just sort of, you know, naturally has it. You know, he can control his tilt. He can um, maintain focus for a long period of time. You know, do you think there are these sort of outliers, if you like, you know, to cut, to use that phrase, that they sure. just walk through life sort of thing? <laughs> yeah, it, there's no doubt. I mean, they're... There are people out there who do not struggle with mental game issues in this, to the same degree that a lot of people do, and they a lot of things come very naturally to them. I, I, truthfully, I think a lot of the players who are, you know, at, at the the highest levels of the game, um, if not completely naturally, with not a lot of work, um, have been able to, you know, have a pretty solid head about them um, w- with their play. Like they don't you know, experience too much fear or anxiety, and certainly they don't get too angry when things go wrong. They may have, you know, minor variations of both, but not anything that's going to really affect them too much. Yeah. So um, these sort of people, do you think that no matter what they chose, you know, as their career, they would have, if they, if you're strong mentally, you know, if they'd went into something like, um, you know, golf, to use that comparison again, it's just, it's, it's a transferable skill sort of thing. Just yeah, a strong the, the, mindset. Yeah, the mental, yeah, it it definitely is. It's one of those things that um, it applies equally no matter where you are. Some things that you may do 
uh, may bring out different sides of you. So it, it may be that because they have also perhaps natural mathematic abilities and, you know, just sort of a natural uh, talent for what poker demands that, you know, their mental game is not necessarily tested. Now, if they were to go and try to do something that, you know, maybe they weren't na as naturally gifted at or maybe even not as interested in, um, you know, frustration um, and, and confidence issues may arise uh, much more so. Um, and so I, I don't think there's a perfect human out there that's not going to, you know, struggle mm -hmm. with something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they may have just not been tested yet and, and may not be in a situation where, where those kinds of, of issues may arise. Yeah, yeah. So um, for the rest of us mere mortals, you know, that aren't, uh, <laughs> Phil Ivey and Tom Dwan and stuff, um, we sort of, you know, we certainly, everyone, you know, everybody tilts. It's, you know, it's a well-known uh, factor within poker and motivation is a thing sometimes for a lot of these young guys to keep up the hours required, you know, to play all the tables and then um, dealing with variance, etc., you know, downswings and just sort of the poker life, everything apart from the fundamentals and the sort of nuts and bolts of the game. Um, is that is that what sort of brought you to, to writing the mental game of poker and sort of just putting, is it essentially, I mean, I've not, I've not read the book yet. I'm not one of these interviewers that's going to say, oh, I've read your book. Yeah. <laughs> when I've not, because you might catch me out on a question. Um, <laughs> I haven't read the book yet, but I am going to pick up a copy. Um, I, and it's available from your website, jaredtendler.com, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Well, they can actually go to, to uh, mentalgameofpoker.com, which is where they can buy it. They can they can link. You can you can follow a link from jaredtendlerpoker.com, um, and it's also available on amazon.com. Okay. Well, when I post this interview on oneouter.com, I'll I'll put all the links and stuff okay. in there so listeners can. Uh, if you're listening through iTunes, you just go to oneouter.com or jaredtember.com. We'll have we'll have all the links pointing you in the right place <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, what just is it kind of your sort of life's work in terms of uh, what you're qualified in and sort of tailoring it to poker? Is that essentially what the book is? That that's that's exactly right. I've um, I've been studying performance for ten years, uh, actually more than that now, um, and. To me, the things that were missing from the, the poker psychology market, the mental game market within poker, um, was was quite quite dramatic. I think, you know, uh, Shoemaker and Tommy Angelo and and Matthew Hilger and Ian Taylor, you know, they put out uh, I think very good books for uh, their experience level, their knowledge level, and 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 kind of what they well, they were all poker players too. I mean, I'm not a poker player, so. You know, I, I've kind of had the ability to observe poker players and interact with them and coach them and train them and learn. You know, I know the game. Uh, I'm a fish in every game that your listeners are playing in, um, except my own friends <laughs> when I'm playing home yeah. games, um, which, of course, they don't um, invite me to anymore. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I, I, the, the, the difference in this book is that it it's coming from a, a perspective from sports psychology. It's coming from... Uh, you know, professional therapy and 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 uh, psychology. Um, you know, in my training and then my experience with actually working with players. So, you know, in the book there there are nine different clients who are who are featured in the book. You know, we go in, I go into very very great detail, uh, laying out a strategy to address every single issue in the book, because the mental game in the past has to me been too much of a okay. We know what you need to do and what not to do. You don't tilt. You just need to focus on playing well. You know, you need to control your emotions. You need to be confident. You need to be focused. You need to be motivated. 
Um, and all those things sound nice, but unless you know how to take somebody from the issues that they're dealing with in reality and resolve those issues, not just know the solution, but know how to, how to train the correction. And, and I say that in that it's exactly the same as if you were taking a, a new poker player, say even me, and training me how to play 5-10. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, I want you to play, uh, you know, aggressively in this spot against, you know, this particular opponent. Okay, well, that sounds great, but there's no background theory or strategy for me to know how to, you know, be able to apply that into the thousands of different situations I'm going to find myself in. Mm-hmm. So the mental game, I think, has been too often looked at as almost, uh, you, you, they know the result, but the question is, how are you going to get there? And And that's what this book has really been about. That's what my work has been about. You know, treating the mental game as a skill, understanding the realities of how the brain work in very simple terms so that you can improve in realistic ways. You know, a lot of mental game issues are actually caused by failures in people's understandings of the, the, the learning process. Yeah. So if you think that you should have already, you know, known uh, – let's say you make a stupid mistake mm-hmm. and you think you shouldn't have made that, obviously. Well, by the laws of learning – you you haven't actually mastered yet because there's a part um, of the brain called procedural memory and there's a degree of learning called unconscious competence, which means that you have, know something so well that you don't have to think about it to be good at it. It's it's like it's like instinctual. You just know it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you and and every other poker player listening could you know you could think about any uh, sorry parts of your skill set that you know you just do like 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 it's second nature. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think from a personal point of view, what you say is, I find myself, and I'm sure other players and listeners will be the same. Um, as soon as you you know you bust out a tournament or you you play a pot badly in a cash game and you come away from it, once you've had the little bit of you know five ten minutes sort of to think about it, you go, you know, in hindsight, what? Why did I do that? I know that's not correct, but sort of in for one of a better in the heat of the moment. You just you did it again. It's like you were sort of on some sort of autopilot, and you, you continually made you know the the same mistake. Right. And for myself, is it's it's a strange one. You know, you'll think you've cracked it for months and months and months, and then that mistake will come out. And I've said to my friends, you know, God, I thought I I thought I'd stopped all that crap, you know, <laughs> and then I've I've did it again, or you know, something like that. So yeah. I I think an interesting thing to maybe do is. Um, to sort of give listeners a feel for what's in the book, and I know you offer uh, coaching sessions and stuff. If people contact you through the the website, I know you're available for for mm-hmm. coaching. Um, if we just maybe sort of, I lie down on the psychiatrist's couch. I know you're not a psychiatrist. <laughs> <but> <laughs> uh, of course. I, I'll lie down on the thing, and we'll maybe go through some aspects of of, of my game and my problems, and yeah. I'll layer my dirty laundry in public uh, for <laughs> the segment. Perfect. So. Um, what would you do if a client came to you first, or do you want me to give you an issue? That's how how would you do? It? Yeah, the the all clients that, that come to me fill out a very detailed questionnaire. It's it's actually thirty questions long. Uh, it takes quite a little bit of time, but I find that it's it's very effective in helping people to actually understand what the issues are themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the major major problems is that oftentimes people you know have a certain idea of what the issues are, but then once you start to put some things down on paper details emerge that sometimes they didn't even realize um, and then certainly I'm able to, to tease out um, some of these important um, 
well, details <laughs> that 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 you know it's almost like uh, like a poker hand. You know, a novice can't identify some very relevant factors out of the hand to make a proper decision. You know, whereas a, a seasoned pro can, and that's the same for me. So, so yeah, so air some dirty laundry. Let's see where it goes. Okay, so um, in terms of tilt, um, by no means have I mastered it, but I feel that um, you know, if if a bad beat happens to me when I first started playing, it used to hang on me. Sometimes days later, I would still think about the hand or the situation and think, oh, you know, why did that happen to me, etc. I mean, I slowly become much better at that. And now, you know, if, if a beat happens to me a few minutes later, you know, I'm over it and I can still keep playing my game, um, especially in tournament poker. I find it a little bit more difficult in cash poker. Just to pick up from there, um, the sort of tilt issues and um, things, I can get over them within a few minutes now. But I'd, I used to, you know, hang for days and days and days. Um, I'll tell you the biggest problem I find is I can play well in a tournament, get really deep, and then... I've suffered quite a few, I mean, I'm not going to tell bad beat stories here, nobody likes them, but um, I've suffered, you know, some horrendous, like, two-hour situations, etc., deep in live tournaments and some mm. online tournaments, and um, I find myself that when I get to these stages in tournaments now, I sort of, it's like I'm waiting on something bad to happen, that's the best way I can explain it. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of waiting, you know, I start, I'm playing fine, nothing's happening to to make me think that way, but something will just creep in, like almost, this sounds great, but like a voice in my head, sort yeah. of saying, uh, like just negativity, and you start feeling a bit like, this is coming, something bad's, you know, going to happen, and um, I don't know how to sort of uh, put it into words, but just a, a sort of feeling of impending doom, shall yeah. we say, and um, it happens to me time and time again, not all the time, but especially deep in big tournaments, um, I just sort of think, oh, I can feel this coming. And then if a little bump on the road happens, I just start thinking, here we go again. This is, you know, and usually, you know, something does happen, whether it's, you know, I don't believe in like summoning cards and stuff like that. Sure, sure. Just there is certain negativity that creeps in. Maybe when I'm, I'm playing well and I'm deep in tournaments and there's nothing to sort of cause that negativity. I, I don't know what it is. Well, what it is is the... Um, accumulated emotion from those past experiences that that's actually literally still hanging around. Like you have this emotion that's unresolved, and the emotion is is triggering um, these thoughts when you get in situations that are similar. It's almost like you're spooked, and like or like a dog that has been beaten, you know, and like a little bit kind of like reactive, like mm -hmm. to any anything that might be threatening. And so, you know, in those situations, you have this literally old emotion that needs to get resolved. Otherwise, it's going to keep creeping in as it does. Mm -hmm. And it may not feel like emotion because it, it comes in thought, but the emotion's there. It has to be. That's the only reason that would happen. Okay. So one of the things you'd want to do is to actually go back and, like, look at the lessons that were learned from those previous experiences, they sucked. They freaking sucked. There's no, there's no ways around that. But oh. you clearly learned things from that. In this case, you've learned some negative things. But your perspective on variance has to be a little bit unbalanced um, for it to keep hanging over your head like that. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I guess I, what I would wonder at this point is, you know, what, what sorts of negative things 
did you think about at the times that it happened? You know, the old ones. Yeah, uh, the old ones. Um, I just remember thinking, I, I mean, I'll tell you, I was my first time in Vegas last year. I played a big tournament at the Venetian, 500 players. Got down to about 40 players. I was uh, lots of chips, comfortable. Um, raised up to, we got it all in. I had kings, the guy had queens. And the flop came out all safe, rag. And I just started thinking that, you know, the guy's going to the guy's going to hit a queen here just just a strange feeling you know mm-hmm. and I, I don't buy into you know a lot of you know this stuff but i just f- almost felt it and on the river a queen came and knocked me out of the tournament mm-hmm. and it was like you know I, t- I take it well i didn't slam i'm not, I'm not one of these guys that slams tables and everything sure. like that I, I walked away from the table and i just felt you know gutted and the year previously i played a big tournament um, in Scotland, and again, you know, it was an overwhelming favourite. We got it all in, and, and the guy hit again. So I think I just sort of started. I just sort of um, expected the negativity, if, if I can put it that way. I was just convinced that the guy, you know, was going to was going to hit a queen. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds that sounds almost you know mystical, etc. But that's the best way I could say. It. I was just expecting. I didn't expect to win the hand. You know, you should be confident when you're an 80% favourite. But I wasn't. I just thought, oh, here, here we go. This is, you know, I don't like this. And right. and it hit. Was there, uh, in that scenario and then in previous ones, was there almost a sense of, like, hopelessness? Like, or, like, like, like what more can you possibly do? That kind of yeah. thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so that 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 is the issue. That is... In, in a sense, like keeping the emotion around because the reality is, right, hope is always a, an emotion you're going to feel when you, when you lack control. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I hope something happens. Well, what that's saying is I don't impact it. I have no control over it. I hope it happens. Mm-hmm. So in, a, in essence, there's a feeling like you cannot control the results. And the reality is you can't in the short run. So maybe there was a part of you that believed you could, you know, way back when, you know, believe that, you know, your skill level was going to be rewarded, uh, you know, in the short run poker. I mean, was is that true? Yeah, you just sort of think, you know, here I've, I've got the guy in, you know, I'm a huge favorite, you know. I, it's almost like you, you expect it. You, you're, I've earned it sort of thing, you know. You used a great word there, expect. So you can yeah. see how things have reversed. Before, you expected to always win in that position. Yeah. Now you expect to always lose. Yep, yep. So you've just flip-flopped it, and the only thing that's real is that in both cases, <laughs> you were wrong. You can't yeah. expect either one. Neither one of them is true because at that point you have done all that you can, and you know the rest is up to the poker gods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... How do you, when you're playing in a tournament, get those sort of thoughts out your head? Because I imagine even subconsciously or on some level, when I start having, or anybody else that starts having sort of negative thoughts in a tournament, it can affect their game. They might play, start playing a little bit tighter than they should, or they might start, you know, maybe calling more raises and stuff. What can you do when you start getting these thoughts? Yeah, see, the thing is, if you if you start to try to work on this while you're playing, you're already behind. 
this is the kind of thing that you have to work off, work at off the table. Uh, and in the book, there are some uh, some ways in which you can do that. Um, a couple a couple things to think about um, that I'll give you now. Uh, one is like figure out all the small ways in your normal like play that you feel like you're giving up some elements of control. Like, do you feel like you're working hard enough on your game off the table? Are you evaluating and assessing? You know certain plays as as deeply as you need to be. You know, are you taking things as seriously as you need to? Um, you know, are you taking enough control of your actions to make you the better, as as good of a player as you can be? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one. And then two, to actually go back to those old hands and like write out a paragraph that describes why you were wrong when you expected to always win, why you were wrong to expect to lose. Um, you know, in the same in the same situation, but the, the the reality is your expectation is flawed, and it's flawed mm-hmm. because you're believing that you have control of outcome, when all you have control of in the short run is your ability to play as as well as you possibly can. Right. Um, and and that idea needs to then translate into your everyday because you need to make it routine that you are out there to control your game to the best of your ability. And to leave the cards alone, and that doesn't mean that you can't understand variance. Doesn't mean you can't understand your opponents. I mean, in fact, in both situations, I advise you to do both, and you know, work hard to better understand subtle variance. Even though, you know, the two examples, the examples you gave are pretty dramatic examples. Or, you know, that's there's no question that it's uh, it's bad luck. Yeah. Um, and and the same with your opponents. The better you understand your opponents, the more your actions can be, you know, adjusted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't you can't control your opponents, nor can you control variants. But the more you understand, the better you can control your game. And that's and that's the point. Mm-hmm. See, I'm quite a logical person. Uh, I come from a, you know, I studied economics at university and stuff. I totally. <laughs> It, it sounds hard, but uh, it actually sounds stupid when I say it. I understand variance, but it's like like what you're saying. You just there's something when you're in eighty odd percent. I know eighteen times, you know, out of a hundred, the guy is going to, you know, the other guy's going to win and stuff. So, in terms of variance, what what's the sort of tip you give to to like poker players? And I'm sure you mention it in the book. Uh, in terms of dealing with it, do you just ignore it or do you respect it in the sense that, yes, it's there, but I can't control it. Whatever happens is going to happen. And is it to take a real sort of flippant attitude towards variance and saying, all I can, I'm going to work on what I can control, you know, getting it in as a, a favourite as many times and, you know, working on my game and other aspects? It's, it's to actually understand it. It's to, it's to take that understanding that you already have Mm-hmm. And and master that, you know, you have a sense of it, mm-hmm. but under emotional stress, you revert back to what you know best. And since you've already proven in the two examples you gave that there's a part of you that believes that you can, you know, expect something from variance that you can't, which means you're not respecting it in the way that you need to, and that that's preventing you from actually really mastering your knowledge about variance. And so under pressure, you, ver- you ver- revert back to what you know best. What you know mm-hmm. best is there's a part of you that believes you have some control of the cards. And that, yeah. that, flaw, that flaw prevents you 
from really taking that 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 logical understanding of variance and having it really be kind of owned where mm-hmm. you're not having to play this game of okay well I'm just not going to bother with it I'm not going I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist or you know I'm going to be so over controlled that well it, the, the the point is that um the way to really resolve the issue is to actually understand this very very important factor of the game it it's there every single day but yet you know you're you're not like you know you're not unlike a lot of players that you have a sense of it but if you really really understood it at a mm-hmm. deep level and 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 bought into what variance really meant there would be no there wouldn't even be a flicker that you could control what card was coming next yeah yeah so is it once you've mastered or maybe not mastered variance but mastered your own belief and you know relationship with variance if you like yeah should no- it re- knowledge of it yeah knowledge of it should it really be a case of that you know a beat happens and it you feel nothing or is it still okay to feel an initial frustration and then you know over it and on to the next hand and play optimally or should you really be going for this is just standard you know to quote the poker player standard sure it's just water off a duck's back sort of thing i mean in the short run you can't you're not going to flick a switch and just you know jump to become you know the part where it's it's just standard and you move on yeah um so in the short term, yeah, if you're if you're still experiencing some minor frustration and it's not affecting your play, mm-hmm. or not affecting your moods too much afterwards, um, then no, that's not a problem at all. The, the problem comes in when um, it's it's having a dramatic effect, like it is for you and like many other players. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the short term, like I mean, literally, write out your knowledge of variance, write out your experience with variance, and the things that you thought that were true. Uh, that maybe aren't quite as true. What do you know to be accurate about variance? You know, there's just not. There's really, if you look at the the poker instruction out there, there's really just not that much out there. It's very mm-hmm. anecdotal. You know, it's people telling stories about it. Um, and I know that there is some people who've like studied the mathematics of it, and you know, there are um, you know the simulators that can kind of predict with you know your win rate, how much you know you can, what kind of downswings you can expect. But yeah, but for the most part. You know the subtle variance gets ignored, and the the subtleties of the of the randomness that exists, um, you know, can create a lot of variations in people's own perceptions of their game. You know, it's very easy to get an inflated view of your own game, an inflated uh, confidence, and you know, on the other side, it can be very easy to think too poorly of yourself and your game. You know, when things are going against you. But the way to create consistency within that that randomness is to be able to better spot. You know when you are actually, you know, running a little bit hotter, when you are actually playing well, and when you are playing poorly, or when you know things are going against you, you don't have control of. Yeah, yeah. So what would you say then for this? I mean, I, I was speaking to the to a guy recently, and a lot of the pros I've interviewed, you know, um, Greenstein and, and Dusty and people like that, they speak about you know money management's the most important thing. I was speaking to a guy recently. And after speaking with yourself, I could, I would say I would agree. And just from my own personal experience with poker, um, it seems to be that money management is a huge part of being a success in poker, but also mindset, your mindset in terms of motivation and tilt control, etc. Mm-hmm. And it, se- it seems the more and more that you get into poker, that the actual mechanics in terms of pot odds and where you are to a flush, etc., that can all be easily quantified 
you know, like you say, but things like mindset and stuff uh, can't, as you say, until your book, um, there, there was a little scattering of, you know, information on it. And people would take, I mean, myself, you know, everybody knows Tony Robbins and guys like that. Mm-hmm. And um, they would see, you know, things like sports, psychology, etc. And they would take little bits from them and try to relate it to poker. So it's great that, you know, you have a knowledge of poker. And you can obviously transfer this over through your book, uh, The Mental Game of Poker. So what would you say for like people, you know, someone that's not a huge success, someone that's not a Dusty Schmidt, someone that's playing low stakes and they're trying to build up a bankroll and stuff. What are your sort of um, a few tips for them, if, if you have any? Mm. Um, you know, do the extra things that are necessary. I mean, the, the mental game... You know, I think is one part, as you said, you know, money management being another, uh, physical conditioning being another one. I mean, as any as any sport or game evolves and becomes more competitive, the edges need to be created in more and more places. So obviously, the the tactics in poker have evolved greatly in the last you know five six years, um, and then the need to be doing other things um, continues to grow as well. So. Um, that's one. You know, you have to really develop a, a solid work ethic for preparing yourself to perform at a high level and then to evaluate uh, the quality of how you played afterwards because your greatest opportunity to learn is actually when you're performing. If you are playing great poker, you're actually learning how to play great poker, which sounds redundant, but it's, 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 it's an important point because you're looking to master very basic parts of the game. And the faster that you actually train something to that level of procedural memory or unconscious competence, it means that you no longer have to think about it ever again. The mistake that you made, um, you know, that you mentioned, uh, you know, you hadn't made for two months and then you, you know, you fell back into making that kind of a mistake again, mm-hmm. proves that you haven't mastered it. Mm-hmm. And, and you took your eye off the ball because the learning process is not always obvious. And if, you know, autopilot or tilt or some fear you know gets in the way then it, it challenges you and can sort of expose these weaknesses that you might not have known were there mm-hmm. so your you know your ability or um, you know new poker players abilities to uh, develop their game fast happens when they can perform at the best of their ability as often as possible which means that they have to prepare to eliminate weaknesses both mentally and tactically, and then afterwards they need to accurately evaluate how well they did so they can inform how they're going to prepare the next time they play. So if you know, they're finding that over several weeks you know, one particular mistake is not showing up, they don't need to spend as much time off the table you know, working on it. And so they can begin to move on to something else without actually taking it completely off the radar until they prove that it's showing up consistently under extreme pressure or, you know, at times where issues like autopilot might happen. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly a, you know, a fascinating subject. And the thing is a a lot of guys will, will neglect, you know, that as part of their game. And I would urge, I mean, I'm going to go out and and get this book when I come off it. I'll maybe get a discount off you. (laughs) Uh, Of course. I'm going to, um, I'm going to definitely buy your book. Uh, I know that you're you're quite busy. You have an appointment coming up, so we could just maybe finish uh, 
it wouldn't be, especially with your golf knowledge, etc. Just to talk about two players, you know, what do you think of McIlroy just after he's blow up and then he's came back and, and done that? Do you think how much of that was mindset? Well, I, it was a lot of things. I think it was um, one that he's young, um, two that he is very grounded. I mean, you see his his demeanor. He's very he's got his he's got his proverbial shit together. Um, you know, and 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 what I mean by that is. Not a lot rattles him on the golf course, um, but he also has a lot of support. You know, he's been talking to Jack Nicholas. He has a lot of good um, uh, players from Northern Ireland. You know, Graham McDowell, who won you know the year before, mm-hmm. um, Darren Clark, who's there. So he's got guys who have been there, and they know what an incredible talent he is, and you know, have really supported him through that. And 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 as Rory said, you know, he really used his failure to figure out what it what what was required of him to, to 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 finish off a tournament you know he said that he was just playing too passively so he played aggressively and he played aggressively all weekend and you know on a golf course that you know really isn't up to US open standards um you know he still did uh did incredibly well and mm-hmm. um you know it's a it's a testament to a lot of things um but it's not all him you know he he's learned he's he's done a lot on his own to learn but he has a lot of people around him which is uh, invaluable, which you know is something poker players can take away too, because when you have you know good people around you, it's easier to be stronger yourself. Yeah, definitely. And uh, what about Tiger Woods? Who does he need around him just now? Man, I mean, he needs he needs well, he needs as far as what I can you know observe. I think he he needs to find people who are going to be more honest with him, um, and he needs to be a little bit more honest with himself. Yeah. I mean, the people, you know, talk about Tiger Woods as the perfect mach- the perfect golfing machine, and his mindset is what he was famous for. You know, on, on the last day, famous, you know, Sunday and stuff, he would come out and so mentally strong. And do you think that that's just, you know, all these personal problems of? I mean, there's no doubt that I think he's injured just now, etc. But does that just show how important mindset is to anybody's game, whether it's poker, golf, or anything? How he can go from basically untouchable number one to you know people are questioning you know when he's going to or even if he can win a major again yeah exactly i mean the 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 mindset is the mental game in general you know is in my mind not gonna ever overcome you know uh technical skill tiger's technical skill even though he's going through a, a golf swing change is still there but the problem is all of his worst mistakes um you know, worst weaknesses in his game are showing up because uh, his mental game, his emotional stability, his confidence is shaken. Uh, once that gets fixed, he'll he'll be he'll be back at the top and he'll he'll be winning majors again. I have no doubt about that. Yeah. Well, Jared, it's been a pleasure having you on. It's uh, certainly opened my mind and made me start to think about things. And the little tips I've picked up there, uh, hopefully, I can use them to the game. In fact, um. Once we stop, I might speak to you about getting that questionnaire and maybe taking it further, and then I, I can do some sort of report on the website or something yeah. uh, for, for the readers to look at. So sure. I urge everyone, great. urge everyone to go to it's uh, jaredtender.com and uh, the mentalgameofpoker.com. That's right. Yep. And onehour.com, where this interview will be. Um, unless you're subscribed via iTunes and I'll put all the links in my blog to Jared and how you can get in touch with him and lots of good stuff like that. Okay, Jared, it's great having you on. Thanks very much for your time. You're welcome, Barry. Thanks. Take care, man. Cheers. Cheers.